Praise the Lord, everybody. So good to be here on a Sunday morning. I am not one for pleasantries, so let's just get right into the Word. If we could remain standing just for the opening of the Word, and afterwards you can be seated as I rattle off and try to form a coherent thought. Amen. Opening in Psalms chapter 1, verse 3. Who's familiar with this verse so far this year? I've been blessed by the reading challenge of reading the book. You want me to use the other mic? Okay, I can do that. Is that better? Anyway, I've been blessed by the reading challenge of uh, Psalms 1-3, and so comes the inspiration for this message. It says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And then I'm going to move over to Jeremiah 17, 8. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh. But her leaf shall be green... And shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to just open your word and be guided and be blessed and be healed and equipped, Lord, for what we face tomorrow. Lord, we ask that you just have your way in this service, that you open our ears and prepare our hearts for the word you have for us. In Jesus' name, we pray you can be seated. Now, I, as I read that verse and, and thought about, you know, as the Lord spoke to me about uh, the word that I should bring forward, uh, I, I got to looking at that Psalms chapter 1-3 and how it, it talked about that, that good tree. Okay, and it's a very simple thought. I'm sure it's, you've heard it before, but I'm going to break down the main parts of the tree and how they apply to us. With the roots, the trunk, and the branches. Amen? Starting at the bottom, the first part, main part of the tree are the roots. Or where do you draw from? Ezekiel 17.8 says, It was planted in good soil by great waters that it might bring forth branches and that it might bear fruit, that it might be a goodly vine. I realize that it's talking about a vine here, but not a tree, but this is the example of good roots. It matters where you're planted, amen? To be that goodly vine, that goodly tree, we are to be planted by those rivers of water, by that great water in good soil, amen? Ezekiel 47, 12 says, and by the river... Upon the bank thereof, on this side and on that side, shall grow all trees for meat, whose leaf shall not fade, neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. It shall bring forth new fruit according to his months, because their waters they issued out of the sanctuary, and the fruit thereof shall be for meat, and the leaf thereof for medicine. In other words, if the waters you're drawing from are from the sanctuary, When you're drawing from the well of the sanctuary, the fruit shall be of meat, 
and your leaf thereof for medicine. In other words, when I go around people and I fellowship, afterwards they're going to feel satisfied or fed, and they're going to feel healed through the drawing of the right wells. Amen? Amen. Colossians 2, verse 6 through 7. It says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and establishing in faith. And Mark 4.17 says, And have no root in themselves. This is what happens when we don't have roots. They endure but for a time, but afterwards when affliction or persecution or trials and tribulation rise up, what happens? They are immediately offended. And other translations said, they immediately go their way. So it matters where I'm drawing from. It matters what I'm rooted in. Amen. But I believe when... The enemy, and I say when the enemy comes, and he will, if he finds a church whose roots are drawn from the rivers of the sanctuary and rooted and built in him, he may have set out to sift you all his wheat, but he will leave disappointed. Amen? The second part of the tree is the trunk or the body or, or the, the wood, as you will. What are you made of, or what are you representing? I want to approach this very carefully because one of the main parts of the tree, when someone goes to identify that, they're going to look at the trunk, right? We, we threw around a joke of uh, this guy who, who went around and did uh, nature walks. I wonder who's going to chuckle at that. But he would, the joke was he just loved nature and he'd walk around and you realize that he really didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> and he walked up to a tree, slapped the side of it and said, hey, this is an aspen. You know, we know it's an aspen because of the way it is. <laughs> Which seems kind of silly, but it shouldn't be that hard for people to realize that we're a Christian. Amen. Now, when you're talking about how we appear and how we promote ourselves, a lot of people like to quote 1 Samuel 16, 7. It says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, but for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And unfortunately, that verse gets used as an excuse to stop on the inside. That inside is, yes, that's where we start, but it goes to the outside, right? Now, we, we don't want to be dead on the inside and have the outside all in order. That's obvious. But for when people are speaking of appearance, they get all up in arms because they don't like change. They want to... They want to come to church and act a certain way, but then as soon as they leave, that's, that's not throwing mud, that's just the flesh. I want to do what feels good, I want to look a certain way, I might want to hide my true, my true beliefs, amen? That's what my flesh wants to do. But you do not have to fall prey to that, amen? 1 Samuel, or sorry, 1 Corinthians 16, 7 says, sorry, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says, what? 
Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, 1 Samuel 16, 7 was not an explanation, but it was a warning. You may have it all together on the outside. You may be hiding things very well, but God knows what's going on on the inside. Let's make sure that they match. Amen? 1 Corinthians 19.20 tells us that, that it's our body. We are to be that living sacrifice. We communicate a message with our appearance. Amen? We can communicate in that in many ways in our dress, our modesty, our hygiene, our body language. And you may ask, what does any of that outside appearance stuff matter? And I will simply ask, is your temple in order? 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show yourself approved unto God a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study to show yourself approved. To show yourself approved. Amen. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present... Your body is a living sacrifice, holy, accept, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I'm not saying we focus on the outside. What I'm saying is when you get truth on the inside, you can't help but want to share it. You can't help but want to shout it from the rooftops. Amen. I will not be able to hold this message back if I get a hold of the truth. The third and final part of the branches, in other words, what are you producing? Another way that we identify what the tree is that we're looking at is by its leaves. Revelation 22.2 gives us an, an example of the tree of life. It says, in the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river, there was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. Luke 6, 43 through 45 says, For a good tree bringeth forth not forth, bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bringeth forth good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For of thorns men do gather figs, nor of bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You may have been very good at holding up a certain front so far. But after a while, what's on the inside will come out whether you like it or not. You see, the leaves are our words. It's what comes out. We have where we're rooted, we have how our, our body language and how we present ourselves, and then we have what we speak. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Proverbs 12.18 says, There is that speaketh like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. 
First Peter 3.10 says, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. James, uh, yeah, Proverbs 15.4 says, A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but per- perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. James 1.26, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, listen to this, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. You see, I can get it every step of the way, I can get it right. Roots, trunk, and get to the branches and the leaves, and I decide to grow, and I decide to say things like this, and it all means Nothing. It is all rendered powerless because I choose to speak curses. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. I, I think the fact that warnings of the tongue and, and our words are almost innumerable in the Bible. I mean, I, I ran out of room putting down verses when it talked about warnings of the tongue. It's because so much has been sacrificed and God has poured so much invested into us up to this point that he does not want us to throw it away once we get to the last part. And I just want to close with this setting of scripture, James chapter 3 verses 5 through 11. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body. And setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and birds, and of the serpents, and of things of the sea, is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men that are made after the similitude of God. In other words, God has blessed this person. They're made in his image. What business do we have sending curses their way through our words? My brother or sister in the church may not be perfect, but I have no business speaking negatively of them behind their back or to their face otherwise. We're here to build each other up because the power of death and of life are in the tongue. Amen? Doth a fountain send forth the same place, sweet water and bitter. In other words, let's make sure our roots are drawing from the wells of the sanctuary planted by those rivers of water. Let's make sure we're presenting the trunk as a tree that is glorifying to the, to the Lord. And our leaves, let's make sure those words are speaking words of truth. And just watch what the Lord can do in your church. Amen. Brother Plale. Praise the Lord, everybody. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. It really is. I can't help but at least acknowledge something. You know how it's just funny how things go around in a circle. We just happen to have in our sanctuary 
a young saint, and he has roots back to this church. Pastor Herring was under Albert Starr. Albert Starr was one of the original folks that started this church in the older building. And one of his sons, he had quite a few, Jess Starr. Many of you probably heard stories of Brother Jess Starr being the quarterback at the Palmer High School football team, having prayer meetings and praying during, during the football game, during, after, and went on to be a tremendous pastor, preacher, and he is currently pastoring in Minot, North Dakota. And so we have a visitor. He's a brother Isaiah, right? All the way from Minot, North Dakota, visiting his pastor's old church. Amen. Brother, we want you to stand and say something good about the Lord. We appreciate you coming. Amen. God bless you. Good to have you. You could be anywhere else, but you're here. We're thankful. Is there any place you'd rather be than right here? Ah, it's just the best place in the whole world. Praise God. I was glad when they said unto me. I was thinking about, you said it, I believe, Sister McKenzie. Is she still here? She might have went out teaching Sunday school. She said, talked about how pastor had talked recently about and lifting up our eyes. I kind of want to talk on that same sort of direction. I'd like to go to 2 Kings chapter number 7. You don't have to stand. You've already stood today and following up. Thank you, Brother Robbie. 2 Kings 7. Look at verse 1 and just three short verses. It says, Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord, thus saith the Lord. Tomorrow, about this time, shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, in the gate of Samaria. Then a lord, on whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? Isn't it funny how you always got somebody? It's just negative when God's trying to do something positive. Someone said, I don't think so. That's what this guy was. He's the guy in the crowd. He said, that's not possible. He said, even if the windows of heaven, could it be? And he said, behold, thou shalt see it. The man of God said to him, with thine eyes, but thou shalt not eat thereof. Verse 3, and there were four lepers, leprous men, at the entering in of the gate. And they said one to another, why Sit we here until we die. And with that last line in mind, why sit we here until we die? I'd like to preach on this thought. Get up. Get up. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you and praise you. and We're so thankful for your presence in the house today. 
Mighty God, we're so blessed to be. We ask that you would continue in this service, God. Help each and every heart. Some would say in Jesus' name. So as we look in 121 and 1 of Psalms, it tells us, I will lift up mine eyes. But here, we're talking about four leprous men who said, Why sit we here until we die? How about elevate? Don't hesitate. In Genesis 19, we're told how Lot had separated from Abraham and, and he chose to go towards Sodom and Gomorrah. He pitched his tents towards that city. And soon, not there long after, we find that Lot is now in the city. He started out looking at it and somewhere along the line he said, I can't just look at it, i got to get in it. i got to participate in it. And so there he goes. He finds himself there and God's mercy, he sends, and the prayers of his uncle, Abraham, he sends some angels to retrieve him. And out of 19 verse 14, the angel says, get up, and you got to get out of here. It's time to get out of here. And Exodus chapter 12 is the story of, of the exodus from Egypt, how that they had cried out unto God 430 years and He sent the deliverer Moses. And ten plagues come down against Pharaoh and against the people. And finally on the tenth plague, the Pharaoh says, that's enough. Get up and get out of here, verse 31. In number 16, there's a story of some rebellion. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram and some others that followed them. And Brother Anthony they just got to thinking the preacher had too much authority. The preacher had too much uh, on his shoulders and he had too much uh, say-so. So they began to question the man of God and that's never a good place to be. <laughs> no, it's not because Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, they were told by Moses and to those that were around him, you better get yourself away from them men. Don't just hang around that spirit, that attitude. You need to get up and get out of there. Separate yourself from them. Don't have any part of it. Don't let their influences. Don't let them pull you down. Don't let them, them disturb your walk with God. Get up. Ahab told told by Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41. He said, you better get up, because I hear the sound of abundance of rain. That's in the CEB. Get up. That's not before that chapter 17 that they experienced the calling out of a drought. The man of God said, it's not going to rain here for three years. Ooh. The same office that Korah, Dathan, and Abiram began to question. The same authority they began to say, I don't like the way he does it. Three years, it was dry, dry, dry. And the man of God is told in 17 and 1, go to the brook Cherith, and you're going to drink. In verse 4, he said, the ravens will feed you. 
This is miraculous. They're in a drought. God tells the man of God, you go there and you're going to have water. Not only are you going to drink from a brook, but I'm going to get the birds to bring you your dinner and your lunch and your breakfast. Wow. That's pretty cool. And so they do. And he drank and he ate, verse number 6. But the miracle had an expiration date. It served its purpose. Do you hear what I said, church? The miracle served its purpose. It protected the man of God, Elijah. It brought the miraculous for three years, but sooner or later the, the, the brook dried up. And it was now time to move on. And he was told in verse 9, Arise! And I want you to go to Zarephath. The CEB tells us that same verse. Get up and go. But I think I should stay right here. The miracle had an expiration date. It was time to move. Why was it time to move? Because God had bigger and better things in store. And a lot of times I've found, Brother Colin, that God's doing great things. I get real comfortable and I just want to sit right here. Because I'm feeling the blessings of God. And, and, and it's really good to receive. Everyone likes Christmas. When you're opening the presents that people gave you. And we get a sudden pang of, of, you hate it when it's the last present. I know none of you do that. Your birthday, you can't wait to open presents. Everyone likes blessings. And so here we get to the place where we get comfortable feeling the blessings. And God's saying, that's long enough to sit there. It's now time to get up. It's time, time to move forward. It's now time to go on to bigger and better things. I got you through that thing, but now you got some more growing to do. You got some more involvement to do. There's souls to be won. There's battles to be fought. The miracle had an expiration date. Get up. I've got another miracle waiting for you, Elijah. This one involves much more than you. The story tells us in same chapter, verses 10 through 16, that he, as he begins to get up and he does what the Word of God says and he goes and he meets a widow woman. She's got a son and she's out gathering sticks. And he said, how about you make me something to eat? Well, the audacity of that man. Doesn't he know? Well, he didn't know. Or maybe he did. But she begins to tell him, you know, there's something about that. Do you know that God talks to your pastor? He prays for you, labors for you, and fasts for you, and calls your name out. And many of you, he's got your picture, and he, and he spends time, and God speaks to him about needs in your life and in your family. God talks to him and, and directs him so that he can be a shepherd. The woman says, well, I just so happened to be picking up a couple sticks. 
going to build me a fire, and I'm going to build me one last cake, because that's all I got left for my son and I, and I'm going to cook it, and we're going to eat it, and we're going to die. Man, that's a drought. That's a rough time. Your last meal. The prophet says to the woman, again, the audacity of the man, when he says, how about you make that cake and you give it to me first? Thankfully, the woman is, is sensitive to God. She understands the principles of God. And so she bakes that, that, that loaf and she gives it to the man of God. And he tells her that, I tell you what, your meal is not going to run out. And your oil is going to continue to flow. But I don't understand how that's going to work. I'm looking at the meal and there's only a small portion. I see the oil and there's just a few drops. Enough just to make enough. But God was looking to a miracle. And now He's involving a woman and a son who's thinking this is it. This is the last meal. But just like the Lord had said, the meal... Wasted not, and neither did the crews of oil fail. Get up and go. In Mark chapter 2, verse number 1, there was a lame man bore by four. You know the story. Starts in chapter 2. Jesus spoke to the lame man, not to the four men who brought him. But he said in verse 9, the CEB says it like this. Get up. Take up your bed and walk. The miracle now is expanding from the, from the faith of four men who bring him. Because they know the best place to bring him is into the master's presence. They bring him there. And now Jesus speaks to the man and says, get up. Doesn't he know? I'm lame. Doesn't he know I'm, I'm hurting, I'm suffering, and I have been so for quite a while. These men just brought me in on a bed. Of course he knows. But he's now taking that miracle and he's expanding it. These four men brought him, but now this man's going to walk out with the same four men who carried him, and he's got his bed on his shoulder. John 5, we talked recently about John 5, the pool of Bethesda. Man's laying there and Jesus comes up and sees him and the stirring of the water one time a year and those who would ever get into the water first would receive their blessing, receive their miracle. And the man just in his state couldn't get into the water quick enough. And so he was... When he was questioned by Jesus, he said, I don't have anyone to put me in the water. By the time I get there, they're already celebrating because someone else got a miracle. Well, the one who gives the miracles just so happens to be standing there. And he says to this man, the CEV says it in verse number 8, he said, get up, pick up your mat, 
and walk. Both had been in their condition for such a long time. Sometimes we get so complacent. We get so used to where we're at. Even when we know there's a better place to be, we'll pick that place that's comfortable. That's, that you just know. Jesus says to those men, time to get out of your comfort zone. And you say, oh, well, they were lame. How could they be comfortable? Ah. Why is it that sometimes we will sit in a condition, whether it's physical or spiritual, remain in a place and remain in a, in a condition that we know that there's a better way and just stay right there. Afraid of the unknown. Afraid of the challenge. In Acts chapter 3, recently, last week, we talked about Acts 3, verses 1 through 10, about the lame man who was daily laid at the gate called Beautiful. And Peter and John come by on their way to a prayer meeting, Brother Richard. And they looked at him and they said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. The CEV says it like this, verse number 6. I don't have any silver or gold, but I will give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ from Nazareth, get up and start walking. That's insane. That's incredible. That's miraculous. He could have said, no, I really would rather have a quarter. Sometimes we do that. The answer comes. We know the unction. The Spirit of God is moving in a service. Remember, in the Old Testament, they had a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. And when that thing got up and it moved off of where they were at, it wasn't time to go, oh, well, in a couple hours I'll catch up to you. It was pack your bags, baby. Put your stuff in your cart. Put on your coat. Strap on your shoes. It's time to follow the Lord. God moves in a service and He says, I've got the answer for you, brother. I've got the answer for you, sister. You don't have to remain in that same condition. Brother Plow, here's the answer. Just get up off of that thing. Get up. In our opening scripture, and I'm bringing this to a close. Chapter 6 of 2 Kings. There's a famine going on there. We talked about the four leprous men. This famine was even greater than the famine that Joseph got the children of Israel and the Egyptians through. There was never one word mentioned in the famine that Joseph was part of and the Israelites were part of where they ate their kids. That's pretty gross. That's, that's, that's bad times. That's what they were dealing with right here during this time. Things were horrible. Second Kings 7-1 we read, 
where Elisha says, hey, this thing's fixing to change right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it like it was just, like the famine never even existed. Did you hear what he said? So I'm going to make it like it never even existed, like it never happened. I can take that situation, brother and sister, and I can make it as if it never even existed. I can make it so brand new. I can take cancer. God can. I can take cancer cells and remove them entirely from a body. I can take tumors and they have to leave. I can take broken bones and straighten them and scars, not only physical but emotional, and move them out of the way. That's the God we serve. I can make it as if it never even existed. Famine's going to be over. There's one naysayer here. I will not focus on that naysayer, but four leprous men. They hadn't heard of the prophecy. There was no way they could. They'd been exiled. They were castaways. They were cast off. They were not included in the day-to-day activities of the community. When a leper came amongst your mixed, if they came by on one side of the street, they would yell unclean in order to make sure. Everyone heard. And everyone knew that they were not welcome. And these leprous men, these abandoned, exiled, shamed men, it was bad enough that they were lepers suffering physically, but spiritually, they had no one or nothing. And in the midst of a famine, they were the last ones that would get something to eat. Their provisions, their handouts had ceased. They were staring death right in the face. Death of starvation. Weak to the point to where they could hardly get up or move or do anything whatsoever. They begin to talk amongst themselves. In verse 3, they said one to another, Why sit we here? Until we die. Why? We could stay here and die as outcasts. Verse number four. And we'd die. Or we could go into our city. We would die. They'd certainly kill us. We're lepers. I've got a better chance going in to the enemy's camp, the Syrians. The Syrians had besieged Samaria. They had surrounded it in such a case that there was no way supplies could come in or individuals could go out. They'd stranglehold them until they finally just had nothing left whatsoever to break them. But God had different plans. And I believe God's plans were turned by the hands, by the idea of four leprous men. Individuals said, what's the use? I'm going to die right where I'm at, and if I go back to my own kind, I'll die there. 
let's go into the enemy's camp. At least we have the possibility they may not kill us. But if they do, that's okay. So they got up at twilight. The Amplified says, verse 5. See, there was a miracle waiting on their, mov- on their movement. The miracle was hinged upon whether they would get up from that place that they'd become comfortable. The miracle was hinged upon whether or not they would get to the place that they were desperate enough It's a miracle waiting for you, brother. It's a miracle waiting for you, sister. But it might just be that you need to get up. Might need to, as often as Pastor Herring has said, get out of your box. Push the limits a little bit. I couldn't help but think, and I'm bringing this to a close, I promise. In Acts Chapter 12, there's the story of Peter being thrown into jail. He's going to be, he's going to be a spectacle for Herod. They're going to take him and, and display him before all of Christians to see just what happens when you serve the living God. And the Lord didn't, didn't like that plan. And so he sent an angel, and here's Peter sleeping in the midst of his guards. And the angel comes and shows up and nudges him. If you can just, I'm just kind of reading into this a little bit. Come along with me. And then angel nudges him, Brother Dan, and, and he gets the sleep out of his eye and realizes there's an angel standing next to me and I'm still in jail. Wow. It's obvious he knew it wasn't a guard and it wasn't someone that, that he went to church with, but... The Lord sent a messenger, and this delivering me angel came and, and nudged up next to him. And the angel, as he's looking at him, had to tell him to get up. You're in the midst of a miracle, Peter. But we become overwhelmed. Peter's like, wow, that's pretty cool. You came all the way into jail for me. And it's almost as, as cool as when he shows up at the door, and you're in a prayer meeting, and he knocks, and someone says, well, that sounds like Peter. We've been praying for him. Can't possibly be. And goes back and tells all the rest. I think Peter's at the door. Well, open the door. The angel's there providing the miracle. Let's open the door. Let's get up. Let's get out of here. Miracle has arrived. It's time to get up. Even Paul smote by blindness on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter number 9. You can stand with me if you would, please. On his way to deliver a letter to crucify and, and, and torture Christians. And the Lord sees, ah, you're not going to let you do that, Paul. You're going you're to be a messenger for me. He smote him with blindness. And the Bible says that after he was lying there on the ground, the angel told him or the Lord told him, get up and now go to the city. 
Anybody sometimes get tired of that same that same view? That same perspective? So it may be. When I say perspective, I mean looking at things that same way and you know it's not right. And you know there's a better way. Don't have to be bound. Brother Walter, we don't have to be. He didn't save us to live in sin. He saved us to deliver us from sin. And to empower us. And give us the ability to live above sin. Sometimes we just got to get out from where we're at. We got to get up. We got to make a move. We got to do something. Is it possible, as James said it, draw nigh unto God? Yeah, but if God will just do this, He's already done it. The miracle's already there. Draw nigh unto me, and I will draw nigh unto you. He's saying, make the first move, brother. Come on, say to God, make the first move. I'll meet you there. I'll be with you. I'll give you that strength. I'll deliver you. I'll comfort you. I'll protect you. I'll watch over you. That's it. Come to these altars if you would, please. I'll heal you if you've been carrying sickness in your body. I'll deliver you of that guilt and that shame and those things you've battled and carried so long. Leprous men said, let's get up. Let's get up. Let's get up. Let's make a move. Let's move. Let's get closer to Him. Not further away. Let's get closer. Oh, God. I love you, Jesus. Jesus.